at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Monday, November 27th, 2023 edition of Invest Talk. And once again, welcome back. Hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday extended weekend. It it felt longer than it, than it normally did, at least for me. I'm Justin Klein, and it is Monday, and that means we have Luke Guerrero back with us. Luke, how was your Thanksgiving? I am still full from Thanksgiving. Mm. Mm. So and I hope more that all of one. you are as well. All right. Well, uh, we are here, and we are ready to answer your questions and make you a better investor by giving you actionable data as well as a perspective developed with over 20 of investment experience. And we're going to talk about the market performance today. We can run down some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question. Hi, Steve, Justin, and Luke. This is Brett from New Jersey. Thanks for all you guys do. I'm a longtime listener. I love the show. I wanted to reach out about a company called Cardinal Health, ticker symbol C-A-H. I bought it a while back. I'm up around 100% right now. And I was just wondering, you thought the company still looked good. I wanted your input on it. You think I should trim? You think I should sell? Uh, or just let it ride? Uh, I'd love to hear your answer, and I'll look forward to it on the show. Thank you. Bye. All right. Cardinal Health. This is a name that has been on a tear as of late. It's certainly overbought. It's at a 52-week high. It's... Revenue growth is decent, you know, kind of mid uh, mid to low teens over the past year or so. But it's really the earnings growth that uh, that has improved. Margins are, are certainly improving. Luke, are you seeing anything on your? I'm seeing that the price to earnings, the forward looking price to earnings, is fourteen point six, which is well over its average of ten point three. From a from a debt financing perspective, I mean, it looks good. It doesn't have much debt. It looks like its earnings do a good job covering it. I'm seeing that a couple of its bonds are trading at a deep discount, which can be a worrying sign if if uh, investors believe there's some credit risk. But I'm not exactly sure why those are trading at a deep discount. But that might be something. Are they long duration? Could be it. That could be it. it. No, be it certainly it certainly yeah. could be it. I haven't been able to figure out why in this brief time. Yeah. Uh, well, Cardinal Health for everyone out there, they are in the they're they're mainly a uh, a pharmaceutical company. Um, they do they are fairly diversified. They're not uh, just uh, based on uh, pharma. Um, <clears throat> they have both branded and generic, and especially pharmacy uh, pharmaceutical drugs. And let's see, they also 
are well diversified globally, North America, Europe, and Asia. Um, so, you know, this is a name I really have to dig into what's happening here because it's certainly overbought. It's certainly, like you said, Luke, uh, trading at higher multiples than historically has, um, which gives me a lot of pause. Uh, there tends to be, in most situations, the business remains static, meaning it can ebb and flow with the cycle or for various short-term reasons, but uh, typically margins over time uh, average out. And, uh, oh, this is what the issue, the thing is. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the makers of the GLP-1s. So it's, uh, I believe it's an Ozempic um, competitor. And I've said this many times. I'm not a fan of this. I've seen this play Mac before, playbook before. Just like I saw Peloton, remember Peloton, people ended up putting their dirty clothes, right? Um, and it wasn't used. And that's kind of what's happening a lot of times with, with Peloton, and that's why they are creating. And I, I see, I've seen this fad in the 90s, early 2000s, different drugs that come out and that get hot. And they have their side effects and they crash and burn and everyone's on to the next thing. And that's exactly what is going to happen with these. There's major problems like with digestive issues and therefore I am not jumping on this bandwagon. Um, I wasn't aware that the uh, competitor was Cardinal Health, but it does look like um, they do sell another GLP-1. So I'm absolutely passing on Cardinal Health at these valuations. All right. Now let's pivot over to Sam in Dallas. He's looking at WBA. Hey, uh, Justin, this is Sam here. Thanks for taking my call. And before I start my question, thanks to you and Steve for this education that you give to all of us through daily podcasts here. My question is about WBA, as you said. You know, they are actually on a downfall for some reason. I know there was a recent CEO change at Walgreens and uh, they offer a very good dividend. I have taken a position at around 24, like a few months back, but I see that they're mm -hmm. just sliding down and they're at around 20 right now. And I'm thinking, should I, uh, you know, add on to my position or should I wait for some more time? So I just wanted to know some thoughts from you on this WBA. Uh, well, this is very simple. What you're doing is you're yield chasing. And as I said many, many times over the past months and years is that when you are getting above average dividends, you're taking above average risk more often than not, especially when you're getting these yields that are close to double digits. And right now, the current dividend yield on Walgreens is close to 10%, about 9.5%. That is way, way too high, and so is their debt level. So they have a ton of debt. Their profitability is now negative. Operating margins are negative 5%. And what's going to happen is that dividend is going to get cut. Why? Because they are going to try to service that debt before they try to continue to pay that dividend. And the market is pricing in that that dividend is going to go away to some degree. Now, maybe it's only cut versus eliminated, but more often than not, they... What, what happens co commonly is they go from right now the div dividend yield is or dividend is 48 cents per share. And it's probably going to get cut to like a penny, 
right? That, that happens a lot too. Is we're still paying a dividend, but now it's next to nothing. Until they get back on their feet, they right-size their, their balance sheet, et cetera, and boom, then they can raise that dividend once again. But that may be many years on the line. Uh, the technicals are horrendous. The relative strength is 12. It's creating what we call a bear flag. It's been kind of uh, sitting around the support level around $20 for now three months and getting ready to probably break lower. So the first thing I would do in the morning when you wake up is log on and sell this. This is, I, I would say, a pretty, if it didn't pay a dividend, it would be a pretty good short candidate because this is headed down fast. So you, you want to run, 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 run away from these type of names in this environment. Okay. Now we're going to a quick break. Break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave a question on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. If you're listening via the live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now at 888 chart When listener questions are played on the Invest Talk podcast, how do you guys determine a value stock? The caller voices are amplified many thousands of times. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan and BAC. How do you see this uh, looking forward? I'm 25 years old and have a question about retirement funds. And the unbiased answers from Justin Klein. That's why it's trading so cheap because there's a lot of regulatory risk. And Steve Peasley. I, I kind of like it here. If I was going to buy Tyson Food, this is where I'd buy it. Benefit the entire Invest Talk community. Thank you for what you guys do. That's why 24 7, rain or shine, no matter how simple or how complex, your questions make a difference. Symbol BKE, what's your outlook? And Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. So don't forget to call 888 99CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Steve and Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call 888 99 Chart. We have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes, so this is what we have. Plan. Our focus points set up by these, this headline, what is infinite banking and how does it work? Now, the infinite banking concept is something that is going to be pitched to you at some point, probably in your life. So I think it's important to touch on advantages, disadvantages, kind of the pros, the, the uh, basically this is whole life insurance or permanent life insurance, variable life, et cetera. And we'll talk about this private banking strategy and the infinite banking system step-by-step. And, of course, the advantages and disadvantages of infinite banking. All right, we also have some other topics to discuss. One is Cyber Monday. Today is Cyber Monday. So we're going to look at the recent trend in holiday sales and what that looks like and how that will feed into potential profits. Also, a somewhat worrying trend or a trend that that definitely colors the job data jobs data that we are seeing in the market today and that is in regards to the healthcare industry 
And that has really been driving the job creation over the past six, nine months. And we're going to look at the numbers there and decipher the data. Also, the SPAC bubble. We are now, Luke, would you say the SPAC bubble has been, is gone? I think it's behind us now or is there, is there more comeuppance to come? I think as long as there's an appetite for things like that, there'll always be some more comeuppance to come, especially <clears throat> as capital standards get looser. Yeah. Well, I, I, we're going to look at the recent history and what it can teach you about those that are uh, pitching big ideas. All right. We also have some voice bank questions. One is in regard to selling options, and the other is Pubmatic Incorporated. We also have perspective today. It looks history of pension plans. In America, but let's take a look at the market performance today. Now, Luke, coming off the holiday, the holiday, just say the holiday, we had a, a, a kind of a mixed market overall. It was generally down, though, right? That's correct. I would say overall it would be uneventful. I think the market is as sleepy as the rest of us, being mm-hmm. having those food hangovers from Thanksgiving. Not much news in the way of today. Everything was was lower, but generally not too low off of worse levels midway through the day. But I think all eyes will be on the personal consumption index as there has been a lot of talk about how consumer spending behaviors may change going going into the holiday. Yeah, and that is Thursday, I believe. It's on Wednesday, I believe. Wednesday, okay. It's Wednesday or Thursday. I know that. It's one of those. Uh, yeah, the big jobs, uh, big not job, the big economic number today was on new home sales. It didn't really make it though. Uh, the ITB, the home construction ETF, that was slightly down, roughly flat for the day. Uh, overall, the market is overbought. You know, we've had a big move off of good support in late October. And just in about three weeks, we've erased all, almost all of that market pullback in August, September, and October. And that leaves you in an overbought situation where... Uh, there needs to be some level of pullback or consolidation uh, in order to kind of reach that next level of resistance, which would be, frankly, that all-time, uh, not all-time high, but the, the high to, to beat uh, the July high. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what that looks like. We are in the midst of Santa Claus season. You typically get a low-volume float in the month of December, especially in years where the market is up. Uh, you know, last year the market was down, so you had more of a sell-off into to year end. This year, uh, even though we're overbought, odds are still pretty good. I think you get a rally, a, a modest rally, very modest rally into year end. Uh, you had the dollar week. That's obviously positive for risk assets. You had the 10-year. That was down as well today, down eight basis points after a decent increase on Friday. Uh, and so uh, a pretty interesting kind of sleepy, I guess, not interesting. Very boring uh, market today uh, with the dollar week. And, and we'll see as we go into, what are we, two weeks away? Almost two weeks away from the next Fed meeting. So that's coming up fast as well. All right. We're going to a break. We're here ready for your questions. So give us a call now on Talk at 888-99-CHART. Justin Klein is here and ready to take your calls live. Invest Talk, 888 99 Chart. 
Now, our focus point today is set up by this story. What is infinite banking and how does it work? Now, we're highlighting this mainly because you're going to get pitched this at some point or some form of this. And put simply, this is having a whole life policy, whole life insurance policy, and having the ability to take a loan out against it. Now, they'll pitch you that you are essentially becoming your own banker, that you're going to pay interest on the loan, and that's going to basically deduct from the cash value of your policy. So if you are going to use leverage, that this creates a pool of capital that you can borrow against. And, you know, investing in, or I don't want to say investing, because I, I think it's a poor way to describe it. But buying a whole life policy is consists of three components when you put that money in compared to a term policy. And that is you're paying for fees and operating costs. That's one. Those are usually high. A portion is to cover your death benefit. That's basically a term policy. And then the cash value portion, which builds over time, which is kind of like an investment account. Now, what they won't tell you too is that the investment account is invested in high fee funds typically. Now, there are usually uh, minimum gains and things like that. Uh, every universal po- uh, life policy is different. But the story that they're going to pitch you is that now you can borrow against that cash value. If you ever do need the money, you want to go buy a house, you want to lend money to your family, whatever, you don't have to run a credit check of the one, uh, you can do that. You don't have to justify it to some bank for, for, for whatever reasons. But Luke, typically the disadvantages outweigh it in a big way. Uh, Number one, there are, you can, you can defer taxes, but usually that is only for those that are in high tax brackets. The benefit is best for those that are in high tax brackets. Most people are not. And then your monthly premiums are way higher. A term policy is oftentimes 10% of the cost of a whole life policy. And the salespeople aren't going to tell you that because they get much better commissions when they sell you a whole life policy versus a term policy. And they won't tell you that your that the amount you'll save is likely to grow much better outside of that life insurance policy than inside of it. So infinite banking. Sorry, could you say that again? You cut out a little bit. Have you have you ever heard of the term infinite banking? I personally have not heard of the term infinite banking, but everything that you that you mentioned and everything that I've read about it, it seems to be one of those things where it's very important, again, to understand where you're putting your money. So like you said, you, don't, you do have the transparency of knowing what those assets are invested in, but they tend to be of a certain amount of options that are given by the insurance provider and are likely to be, like you said, in high-fee investments. So my question for you, because maybe you know about know more about this than I do, is is the interest rate that you can get from borrowing off of that cash value any better than the low interest rate you can typically get from borrowing off of your 
uh, 401k or retirement account? Typically, no. Uh, and, and, and also, what they're going to pitch you is that that money can still grow. Right? There's the arbitrage between what you're going to earn on those investments versus what your uh, what your that amount, right? So they they try to get they try to get you with kind of a gimmick in a way, um, but in reality, you could have taken that money uh, that ninety percent. You could have spent ten percent of what you would have on a whole life policy, right? And buy a term policy, and you can go invest the rest in your 401k, in your IRA, in a brokerage account and grow that a lot better. And then you aren't, if you need the money, you're not paying any interest, right? You're just going and using uh, that capital. Um, so, you know, these are, are and it takes a lot of commitment too. You have to commit to a high premium for a long period of time because unless, until you actually get some value in that, cash value side of the, the whole life policy, you can't borrow against it. So it usually takes seven, 10 years before you actually can get to that point because of those high upfront costs. Remember, the insurance companies pay, paying the salesman, usually nine, 10% commission, et cetera. And that's not something uh, that they're going to tell you. And so until they can make that up, your cash value isn't really uh, going to be there. Um, and then, like I said earlier, You know, a lot of people look at, it's kind of like the, the uh, what do you call it, the municipal bonds and how people want to avoid taxes. People buy the... Usually it makes sense for the brackets. All right. Now the next and best talk, we'll look at the story set up by this question. Can the rally for growth stocks last? That's tomorrow. But for now, I'm Justin Klein, ready to take your calls at 888-99-SHARP. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call Invest Talk. 888 99 Chart. Hey, Justin, Bill from Philadelphia here. I'm calling about Pubmatics, ticker symbol PBM. They are a programmatic advertising platform, and they just had their earnings in last week and did really well. I picked some stock up before the earnings and uh, wanted to get your thoughts on if I should uh, keep this as a as a longer hold, sell off a little. Just wanted to kind of get your thoughts about the company and technicals. I'd love to uh, hear what you guys think and uh, love what you guys do. Thank you so much. So the question is about Pubmatic, which engages in the provision of specialized cloud infrastructure platforms for advertising transactions. So from a general thematic question for Pubmatic, you know, we like 
cloud infrastructure companies. If you look at what has happened with with Alphabet or Google, um, you see, or with Microsoft, you see that the cloud divisions of those companies are doing very well. But when we're looking at this from a pure technical perspective, it looks like Pubmatic is actually pretty weak. It's relative strength. Uh, it's underperformed the S&P. And to me, it looks like over the past one month, we've had some price discovery, probably related to those earnings. So I would say until it's discovered a new support, it would be a pass for me. All right. I am back. I had some technical issues. So let's grab another call. Hey, guys. This is R from Tucson. I am circling back to take one last look at Playboy Group, Inc., that's P-L-B-Y. Wondering if there's any value left here at 46 cents a share. Or is this thing, should we just let it die? Uh, right now, it seems like if you were going to buy it, hard to see it getting much cheaper than this. So just wondering if there's any uh, risk-reward value here and if it's worth taking a small stake on or if we should just forget about it for good. Thanks, and I'll, I'll listen on the podcast. Uh, this is easy to answer. The management team is terrible. Uh, they have a great brand and they drove it into the ground with uh, doing probably too many, doing too many things at once um, and not focusing on uh, really extracting the, the most value from the brand. So, uh, nope, not a place to invest. All right. Now, let's touch a bit on our perspective for the day. And that is in regards to pension plans in the United States. I love looking, I love history. So I love looking back at these things that most people take for granted and, and they don't even know where they came from or where they started. And the first evidence of a pension, Luke, goes all the way back to the Roman empire, which I know you think about every single day, right, Luke? I didn't think about it today, but now I have. So thank you for this. There you go. Well, that's in the first century BC was the uh, the first pension plan. And typically these pension plans were designed for veterans of wars or set up by community churches. And there and were more charitable uh, initiatives. Now, the first veterans pension plan here in the United States was offered to naval officers in 1799. So... That was, if you think about it, not that long ago. Um, but the first private pension plan in the United States, I bet you nobody knew this. I didn't even know this. 1875. And it was the American Express Company. Obviously, at that time, they were not a credit card company. But once again, not that long ago, 150-ish years ago. Now, by the ni- by 1970. 26.3 million private sector workers, about 45% of all private sector employees were covered by some kind of pension plan. That's incredible. Did you even think, did you ever think it was that high, Luke? No, that's pretty wild. I do yeah. remember from uh, studying for the CFA pension accounting. So I, I wish that back then they didn't come up with pensions because that's the worst part about level two. Absolutely. Yeah. Pension accounting is. Uh, almost torture? Would you call it borderline torture? About as close as you can get without violating the Geneva Conventions, yes. Exactly, yeah. Now, pensions in the United States consist, consist of the Social Security System, Systems, CalPERS is the largest, as well as 
you have uh, private pension plans offered by employer employers still. There are still some out there. My mother has one, uh, she, and she uh, recently retired. Insurance companies, unions, they have offered some uh, pension plans as well. Now, starting in the 1980s, pension plans rapidly began disappearing. Why? Because of 401k plans. It was a lot easier to know exactly what you were to put into the 401ks, you know, do a little bit of matching and never have to worry about pension accounting again. That That's probably the main driver, I would think, right, Luke? Like being a, a manager of a, of, a, of a company and not having to deal with the pension accounting again, that's a, it's a pretty big incentive there. Yeah, I think that's correct. If you look at what happened with General Electric when they decided to turn what was a industrial company into one that focuses on on capital with GE Capital, that wasn't a good business move. So certainly for a lot of these companies managing internally or or hiring consultants to do it and having to carry that on their balance sheets is just is just bad for business. Yeah. Now, as of 2020, Social Security was the most common source of income in retirement. 81% of retirees had one or more sources of private income. 59% of retirees with income came from a pension, 56% with in, from interest in dividends and rental income, and 32% of retirees had some sort of labor income. So still kind of working uh, to some degree. So I guess you call them semi-retired. Now the average retirement income as of 2022, monthly, Now, everyone's situation is different, but but more people get pensions than you realize, especially if you consider Social Security. All right, now let's talk a bit about what today is. It is Cyber Monday, Luke, and spending is set to reach $12.4 billion. That would represent an increase of more than 5.4% compared to last year. And if you look at how co- how people were spending this holiday weekend in general, Black Friday sales in stores and online rose 2.5%. Now, online was the big winner, 8.5%. In-store sales just up 1.1%. But what's interesting is that experts think the best deals are yet to come. Have you spent a lot this weekend? I have actually spent nothing this weekend. That's not true. I bought a golfing tees and a okay. tripod so I can fix my terrible swing. But other okay. than that, I haven't really spent more than forty dollars this Cyber Monday. And you know, for me, this is this is this is good news. It, it points to uh, how much the consumer is still able to spend. Hopefully, they're not putting it all on buy now, pay later. That would be bad. Um, but you know, for, don't tell I think that a lo- to a firm. That's true. I think that a lot of people probably spent Black Friday with their families, whereas I was obsessively checking to see if consumers were going to stores, you know, uh, the brick and mortar stores to spend money as, as an indication of what that meant about consumers purchasing power. So after anecdotal evidence came in with with uh, brick and mortar stores having far less foot traffic than normal, this is this is good news. This is good news. Yeah. And last minute shoppers are expected today to spend about $4 billion between 6 p.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern. So right, basically right now. And you're starting to see some of the retailers drop their prices even more. Walmart, for example, they upped their discount on clothing from 50% during Black Friday now to 60%. 
So that's one indicator they're trying to unload inventory. And once again, experts are, are expecting that the best deals are still yet to come. It'll be interesting to see how much that pressures margins because it's not just about the top line, but what that bottom line looks like as well. And with inflation still there, right, lower than we saw last year, but still there is some inflation. And it'll be interesting to see what type of margins these retailers end up with. Uh, I think overall, it'll be a solid holiday season. Not amazing, because I do think there are a certain subset of consumers that A, are tapped out, that are maybe a bit more worried about their job security than they were this time last year. And uh, the income growth compared to, especially on the the younger cohort, uh, isn't as good as it was last year. Um, And so I think those three things are going to kind of make a holiday season that is fine, but not amazing. All right, let's swing back to the Invest Talk Voice Bank for this question that came in earlier on 888-99 chart. Hello, Invest Talk. I have two questions about selling options. The first one, you could just kind of go yes or no, but you know, after you collect premium when selling options, does that premium go towards the cost basis for the underlying stock that you are selling calls against? And then second question is a follow-up question from a previous caller about what you guys look for when picking stocks to do a cover call strategy on. And I was just looking to see if you could comment on whether it makes sense to do a cover call strategy on ETFs versus an individual stock. I just feel like with an individual stock, there's more potential for volatility. And so, you know, a more likely chance that it could eat in the money or lose money on that option versus an ETF where there's maybe less implied volatility, a lower premium, but safer overall. So if you could just answer those two questions, that'd be awesome. And I'll listen in. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. So your first question was basically about selling a covered call in some some way. Most of it's uh, a long covered call where you're, uh, sorry, a long position, and then you're selling a call option, you're short a call option. That's a covered call. And, you know, does the premium adjust your cost basis on the underlying position? I guess you could say that. It depends on how you want to look at it. In the view of the IRS, they're separate positions. You're long 100 shares of one of the stock and then you're short a call option. So it's just kind of perspective there. Um, What you look for, you look for good companies. Good businesses. That's most important is uh, underlying the underlying business that you are investing in. A lot of people chase supplied volatility, chase the high premiums so that they can sell call options on. That typically is a losing strategy if you're just focusing on that. So you don't want to do that. Uh, sh- can you do a cover call on an ETF? Absolutely. If there are options traded on that ETF. And it is certainly lower risk. Why? Because with an ETF, you are instantly diversified. You don't own one company. You own a mix of companies. And that's why the overall premium is going to be lower because the volatility of that ETF is going to be lower than one individual name because there's not earnings that's going to move that stock up or down or that ETF up down 5-10% like it would with an individual position. Uh, can you do that? Sure. If you're okay with that lower premium and you want that instant diversification, you don't want to do the deep research on the individual name. Uh, 
so I guess that's that's probably my my basic answer there. Anything to add, Luke? I would just add that generally speaking, when you're when you're writing an option, when you're writing a call option, you're essentially hedging a little bit, right? So if if the price of the stock goes down, then your return uh, goes down by a little bit less because you get that premium. And so generally, you benefit the most from writing a covered call when the price of that option, or rather the strike price, is below or at or above the market price. So they're not going to call it. You still get the premium. You don't lose the security. Yeah, and and when you're selling those calls, it typically is better to sell the shorter dated options as opposed to longer dated. So I would uh, encourage that as well. Options are infinitely complex. You can make them as simple or complex as you kind of want to be, uh, but you make sure you know what you're getting into. And most important is that underlying security, not the rigmarole of the call option selling. All right, let's go two in a row here on Invest Talk. Hi, Duncan from New York. Thank you for all that you do. I'm just calling about stock ticker SMLR, Similar Scientific Incorporation. I know it's a growth company. Just wanted to get your two cents. Uh, I know growth is probably not in favor right now, but they have been kind of beating their estimates uh, for the past four to six uh, quarters. So looking forward to getting some insight. This is going to be a long-term play. Thank you very much and have a good day. Bye. Interesting. Similar scientific. It's engaged in providing technology solutions to improve the clinical effectiveness and efficiency of healthcare providers. It's focused on developing, manufacturing, and marketing proprietary products and services that assist customers, including insurance plans, physicians, and risk assessment groups in evaluating treating chronic disease. Sounds like to me, Luke, they're looking at maybe big data to try to improve medical outcomes. Is that what they're doing here? That's what it sounds like to me as well. And and really digging down into the fundamentals of the company, uh, they have no debt. And when I mean no debt, they have no debt, which is good. Yeah, they have, um, yeah, they have it seems to me like the they're exactly. It seems to me like they're fifty million. They're trading uh, at a reasonable multiple, though a little high for the sector comparison. And 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 they're making some good money. I mean, their EBIT margins thirty five percent. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. And their enterprise value EBIT is only about eight and a half. That's not bad. For something that is, it's growing. I don't know if I would call it a huge growth name. Uh, their business is a bit up and down. You know, they made a dollar seventy-four in twenty twenty, two twelve in twenty twenty-one, then only a dollar seventy-nine last year, three forty-four this year. So, uh, what I do like is the technicals are improving, making a series of higher highs and higher lows. I like what Luke said: no debt on its balance sheet. So that's uh, that's nice. So uh, I'm okay with this one. Uh, I like the profitability. Uh, and multiple seems fine for me. All right, we're heading into our final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. You've got finance and investment questions, and Justin Klein and Steve Peasley are ready with their unbiased answers. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi there, Steve, Justin, and Luke. Uh, This is Matt from Minneapolis. The other week I called in and Justin and Luke answered a question I had on possibly purchasing either Adobe or ServiceNow. In listening to their answer, I heard Luke casually mention out Microsoft. Incorporating all three of those stocks together, then I got thinking maybe it would be a safer play for me just to take an ETF in that sector. 
I was looking at VGT and XLK. Those both are kind of the same sectors, just different fund families. What would you do? Would you put it in one of those funds? Thank you for your answer. I look very forward to listening and gaining your knowledge on the show. Have a good day. Are you looking at VGT or XLK? And your caller is correct. These are pretty much one and the same. One is a Spiders ETF. The other is a Vanguard ETF, but both in the technology world, large cap growth, which has had a great year this year, but a terrible year last year. And I actually saw some recent data. This is the most overcrowded the the tech industry has been within the hedge fund industry uh, in history. So hedge funds are all in on tech, and typically that is not a good time to be investing in this space. Now, Luke, obviously this would be safer than just buying an, an Adobe uh, right? Because you're getting diversity. It would be safer because you're getting diversity. And I also want to kind of add a caveat there that although they do both do invest in tech, they are they are pretty different funds. So XLK has 66 names and its top 10% weight is 70%, whereas uh, VGT actually has 320 holdings and the top 10 is 60% of the fund. So if you're trying to get as much diversity as possible, VGT is the answer there. If you want to be more focused in the largest of the large tech names, then XLK is what you want to go with. So it really just goes down to what you're looking for. Got it. Okay. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I I I think VGT is definitely a better, more diverse name, but uh, I don't think either uh, are great to buy at the current time. All right. Now let's touch a bit about the jobs market. And what's interesting as of late is that. The well, the jobs data has been weakening. It's still is positive, but mainly that has to do with the healthcare space. In fact, you can broaden it out the whole report: healthcare, government, and leisure and hospitality, as uh, for the October data, were the only sectors that provided gains. The rest of the overall economy had no net job growth. And this is a worrying trend. Healthcare payrolls rose 4.2% in the three months through October. That's up from 3.1% in the first quarter. But outside of the healthcare, grew only 1.3% during the three months up to October. That's down from 2.4% in the first quarter. So, Luke, what we're seeing here is that the non-cyclical parts of the economy continue to do fairly well, especially healthcare, because of the di- the, the demographics of, you know, baby boomers retiring. Uh, but the rest of the economy is not doing nearly as well. In fact, healthcare providers accounted for thirty percent of U.S. job gains in the six months through October, even though they are only eleven percent of the total country's employment. So what is this telling us about the near-term aspects of the economy as well as the long-term secular dynamics? Well, everything you said is, is exactly right. You know, if you think about what happened to the healthcare sector in the past three years, like you mentioned, you have aging demographics of, of workers. You also had a lot of people who were burned out from COVID. And so a lot of the hiring within healthcare is trying to feed back into what they've lost for those two reasons. But I think this just goes to having a deeper understanding that 
just looking at a top line jobs number is not going to tell you much about the economy. With healthcare, government, leisure, and hospitality leading the way, but primarily healthcare and government, healthcare and government are not sectors that tend to expand and signal economic expansion broadly. So you really need to dig deep into the report to figure out where these jobs are coming from to, f- to get a broader picture of the overall economy. And that's why the devils are always in the details. And I, what we've been saying for a while, it doesn't make sense for the Fed to keep hiking as the cyclical parts of the labor market remain pretty poor. And I don't see that trend reversing until we get Fed rate cuts, probably happening next year. Uh, what's interesting about this, uh, the recent data, though, is that in the healthcare space, quits are increasing. They're up 22% from their 2019 averages. So people are getting burned out as well within this space. All right, I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero. Luke is another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play, and be sure to rate and review as well. Independent thinking showed success. This Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. Thank you.